0: Thanks, Matt. Well, I'm Trev, glad that you're here this morning to hear God's word. And uh, I want you to, to turn in your Bibles to the Book of Joshua. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand, and one of our great ushers will bring you a Bible, and we're, we're going to be in the 23rd and 24th chapters of Joshua. Joshua is the fifth book of the Bible. or turn there into your app if you need to. Uh, again, we're going to highlight some parts. Of that, so 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 get there and and kind of put your finger in the text, and then as we as we think, here's what I want to ask you: um, imagine for a second uh, that this is my last address to you as a church. Imagine that I am no longer going to be your pastor. Some of you, this will be a great day, I'm sure um, imagine that that I'm trying to compile for for you the last things that I want you to know as I head out to do whatever, perhaps I'm going to die, perhaps I'm going to do these sorts of things. Last words have this unusual way of kind of focusing our life. There's some very famous last words by some very famous people. Um, I've got a a pretty fun list here and a good list, I think. Um, The Queen of France at one time, Marie Antoinette, I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly or not, Um, she was... uh, I think, from, from what I can gather, fairly unjustly executed for treason, uh, not put on fair trial, not unlike, it seems, what seems to be happening just south of the border, um, but her famous last words as she was executed by guillotine uh, were, pardon me, sir, I didn't mean to do it, and that's because she stepped on her executioner's foot as she goes to the guillotine, and her last words are, pardon me, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. One of my heroes, Sir Isaac Newton, uh, when he died, he was quite humble. Sir Isaac Newton, if you don't know, um, he didn't invent gravity, but he basically descri- was able to describe it. I'm pretty sure he didn't invent uh, gravity. I, th- I think that was Al Gore, but I, I can't remember. Um, he did discover it and describe it in this beautiful way, though, uh, and he did probably more for science, uh, and he did it from a Christian perspective, actually. He he pursued Uh, truth and he was an inventor and he actually said these are his last words I don't know what I may seem to the world but as to myself self I seem to have been only like a boy playing on the seashore and diverting myself now and then in finding a smoother pebble or a prettier shell than the ordinary whilst the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered before me quite humble for a man who really discovered more in his lifetime than we will ever discover in in the history of the world. Uh, George Orwell's famous last words, he wrote a very impactful book. Uh, He said, at the age of 50, everyone has the face he deserves. And then he died. And then recently, uh, one of my personal favorites, this just out, apparently, Elvis's last words were extremely important, and they were, I'm going to the bathroom to read. some things for us doesn't it these are Joshua's last words these are Joshua's last words and so you can you can kind of get this sense in which Joshua is is really taking the time to compile uh, for the people what he thinks will be really important for them as they enter into the new generation about 25 years have passed since the beginning of the conquest that we find at the very beginning of the book of Joshua and about now, so there's a lot of time that has passed in between. And Joshua wants everyone to, to grasp the weight and gravity of what's going on. And so actually chapter 3, it's, a, it's actually a set of admonitions. Admonitions are charges, if you will. They're, they're farewell speeches. They're, they're almost battle speeches, but they come at the end of the battle as kind of a post-game speech, if you will. And chapter 23 is really specifically to the leaders and chapter 24 is to everyone. And so what I want to do is I kind of want to do a little bit of both. I want to talk about uh, what Jesus has put in charge of uh, of his church and, and the kind of the charge to leaders that we would see from there, but then a, a really a, a charge to everything. And and, and this is what we're going to learn about today. We're, we're really going to, we're going to, find that that leaders God's leaders all leaders in the church they're to remind people of the faithfulness of God they're constantly point back to the faithfulness and truth of God secondly they are to personally obey and love God in the present context for themselves and for others and thirdly They are to choose daily to follow God. So three things we're going to try and pull out from the text that are there. Uh, They are to remind people of the faithfulness of God. Every leader has that responsibility. They are to uh, obey and love God in the present context for themselves and for others. And they are to choose daily to follow God. So let's take a look at chapter 23. I I actually want to kind of uh, read through this a little bit. It says, A long time afterward when the Lord had given rest to Israel, from all their surrounding enemies. And Joshua is old and well advanced in years. Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and its heads, its judges and its officers, and said to them, I am old. I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the Great Sea in the West. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Still work to do, obviously. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the Law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. I want to stop there and, and really say that that's in, in some ways that's a summary of, of what's really, really going on. And, and, and this is this love God and obey God in the present context. And remember, th- there's about three or so million people, three and a half million people I think, uh, we figure in this, in this land at this time. And so you, you can imagine the, the breadth of kind of a leadership powwow or a leadership meeting, if you will, uh, of that magnitude. I mean, what kind of leaders would you have? If you look back a little bit through the history of God's story, you will actually see that... Um, that there's kind of leaders of tens and there's leaders of fifties and there's leaders of hundreds and then there's 14 tribes and there's all these sorts of things that are going on um, in, in terms of leadership. And so I don't really know who is the leaders that, that Joshua is talking to, but really the, 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 the message is the same. We've got 25 years that have passed from the beginning of this book to the end of the book. And yet, there's still the same kind of charge that goes to these leaders, and that is love God and obey God in your present context. Because as Joshua grows old, there's this great temptation to move to the left or to the right. Now, what What's being spoken of there, and some would read that text and go, you know, this is, uh, this is strange that, that God would not allow his his people to kind of inter, intermarry. And if you read further in the text, you'll actually see there's, there's kind of an intermarrying. And some would, people would say, well, why is God being so ethnically driven? It's actually not ethnicity that God is worried about. It's, it's religion and faith. And in that day, in that culture, when you married someone from another culture, you married their God. You accepted their gods. You allowed their gods to rule. And so it's a very kind of pantheistic understanding of the world where you just when you married someone actually most times it was it was for an alliance it was to to join with them spiritually it was to accept them spiritually and so god says don't don't go to the to the to the right or to the left you you have to stay the course Joshua says you have to stay the course, you have to obey God. What's interesting is this sounds like, hey, we've heard this before, 25 years later. Now if you look at the story of God throughout the whole Bible, what you will find is that this is always Israel's problem. Israel is the name of the people uh, that follow God in this, particular, um, in, the, in this particular book and in the, in the, in the entire Bible, in fact. And their temptation is always to to say, well, that that God provides me something extra, and so I'll marry that into that culture, so uh, so we can get some rain that's going on here, because we we have an agricultural based um, kind of land, and so you know we're, we're farmers, we we need rain, and so let's marry a religion, let's marry into a religion where. They have better access to the rain and, oh, we need some sun or we need some fertility. And so let's marry into the religion that helps us with fertility. And so Joshua is reminding the people, don't ever stray from the book of the law. The book of the law at this time would have included these first five books of the Bible. And by saying this, Joshua is in fact declaring this is going to be scripture. People are going to look back to this book and they're going to follow it. And there's always this sense in which God is always calling His people to obey God and to obey His Word in the present context. It's a repeated call. It never, ever goes away. Even since Jesus has come to this earth as, as God become man, and he, he, he gives us a new covenant, He still says the, the problem is always going to be you're going to want to go left or you're going to want to go right. It's an interesting terminology because we use that now to describe liberal and conservative, but in this sense it's not, you know, one's going liberal and one's going conservative. Although in some ways it does describe what happens to Christians, they either make up rules about God's word that aren't there or they dis- they they distract themselves from God's word. So actually in some ways it is helpful to understand that. That's still our temptation today and we'll, we'll get into m- more of that. But secondly, Here's, here's what, what Joshua says, um, s- continuing on there. He says, For the Lord has driven you out, uh, you great and strong nations. I want you to, to jump down to, uh, to even 14. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All of them have come to pass for you. All of them have come to pass for you. He takes the people back and he reminds them, you know, if, if you just look at history, if you just look at the history of our people, you can see that God is fulfilling His promise. Actually, that's a good segue into why we're even calling this covenant is because it, what Joshua is asking his people to do is to go back to the very beginning of God's story and say, look it. In Genesis chapter 12, or the beginning of Scripture, what God actually does is He gives a promise to a man by the name of Abraham. And it's a covenant promise, meaning God will fulfill His end of the bargain regardless of what His people do. And He actually says, if you obey Me, this is what will happen. If you disobey Me, this is what will happen. And He makes good on all His promises, always. That is a for sure thing that we know about God. But this was the promise that He gave to Abraham. He said, I will make you And your family a great nation. I will give you a place, a land with which to worship. And then one day I will bless all nations through you. And that's why as Christians, our heritage actually comes from the Jewish nation. This is the one disagreement most Jews would have with Christians. They said, you can have your Christianity. Just don't say it was rooted in our religion. But actually... The reason why Christians would root their religion in, in the Jewish religion is this very thing, is that one day God would bless all people. In fact, isn't that the great story of Christmas? Is it Israel's singing out for this Messiah, and this Messiah is no longer just here for Israel. This Messiah is here for everyone who would believe in the name of Jesus Christ. That's why it's called good news. That's not why it's called good news for Israelites, good news for Jews, good news for those who were Hebrew descent. It said peace on earth, good news for everyone. And so this is what Joshua is trying to remind his people at the very beginning of the story. Look at the past. I think sometimes as as people, especially as Christians, we're kind of told it's all about faith and you don't actually have to look at any concrete things. You have to take off your brain in order to believe the silly things that Christians believe. But actually, if you look, this is why we have the Old Testament. This is real. This really happened. These places really exist. You can visit places today. There's not a made up, religion it's not a made-up faith and joshua says look you saw it for yourself you saw with your own eyes you heard these things you heard these promises spoken to you so it's a reminder of the faithfulness in the past and then as joshua moves to kind of a general reminder then this is what he says Chapter 24, verse 15. This is actually a verse that people do put under the paintings of Thomas Kincaid in their homes. It's one of the few times I'll say that. But it's good. I think it's such a good summary. And and in many ways, it's really hard to take this verse out of context. Not many verses you can say like that in the scripture where you you remove them from your context context and they still apply but this is a really good one and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the lord this is the summary i think for joshua choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the amorites in the land you dwell but as for me and my house we will serve the lord strong statement from joshua it's personal for him he's not just saying you should follow the lord he says you choose today Don't choose from the past 25 years. You choose right now. He says, this is my choice right now. Today, I choose to follow the Lord. Joshua doesn't have much left to his life. We're talking a 110-year-old man. And so it's possible he's shaking. It's possible his back is kind of crooked a little bit. He's on his last legs. He says, today, I choose the Lord. Today, I follow the Lord. What's it going to be? What's it going to be? I think there's so much here that's rich. Let's let's get into into this. And so today, all all I want to really do is is just kind of take you through what some of the expectations for leaders. And some of you say, well, I'm not a leader, so what can I possibly get out of this morning? Or I'm new to this church. And I would say, I think it's actually good if you're new to this church to hear this message at the beginning because what we want to do is is show you the standard by which we are holding all our leaders to ourselves to so that you may be able to be part of holding us accountable to these things but the really the first thing that i see helpful is that god says to leaders remind remind people of god's faithfulness they remind people of god's faithfulness Before I even get into that, let me just answer this question that some of you might be asking, who are our leaders? What do our leaders look like? So let me, this is a little more informational. Uh, This could come in announcements if we wanted. This could come in an annual general meeting. But I just wanted to explain who are our leaders? So who are we actually speaking to when we're talking about our leaders? And so what I want you to know is that when you begin a church plant, especially the way we did, which is kind of out of the back of a truck and out of your back pocket and not the way you would love for a church to be built up. For those who were here from the beginning, you know that. I say for the most part, it felt like our church was running on fumes because we just barely had enough gas in the tank to move to the next level. And so our leadership structure isn't solid yet in terms of structure. In fact, one of the reasons why it's not solid in terms of structure is because we wanted to make sure it was solid in terms of character. Sometimes you can't choose between these two things. And so your church is led by, right now, legally, a board. board. And that consists of myself as lead pastor. It consists of my friend Matt who does um, uh, announcements. He will act as the chair of the board legally. And then there's Steve, who led music. He's part of the board. He's not really a secretary as much as he's part of the board. But legally, that's what it's looked like. Now, let me, let me tell you kind of behind the scenes what this looks like is, is that, that you know, we're trying to move in the process towards something that we would call biblical eldership. And so if you're interested in kind of the qualifications for biblical eldership, we would point you to places like 1 Timothy 3, uh, t- that just talk about how do you qualify church leaders. And, and so I- living in a culture, you always dance between different things. And, I- you know, we want to be legal. We want to obviously uh, be above board. And yet at the same time, we want to follow the Bible. And sometimes this dance is a lot trickier than you might imagine. And so while they, we call those people the board and are, are really kind of the legal responsibility for our church, we're, we're moving toward this idea of calling them elders. And we won't even call them elders yet. I will be officially installed as an elder. That would be uh, the extent of it. But you know how dangerous it is to have one elder in a church, right? Like how many of you would be bragging about this to other people right now? Hey, we've got a church where there's one elder. It's not really healthy. And so what we have, uh, this is where our our, our relationship with c to c Network comes in and our relationship with the Mennonite Brethren is, is, is I knew this, we knew this, that there was a way that we had to bring accountability as we kind of built our leadership structure up. And so they said, well, yet, y- until you can install elders officially, until there's, there's kind of that... Um, delegated responsibility officially here here's what you do you you form a task force which is a a temporary board of qualified elders and you kind of mix your future elders and you and you take qualified elders from other churches that can temporarily provide some sort of um, instruction so our task force then would be expanded to to uh, to involve uh, our friend Johnny Thiessen who's over there wave your hand Johnny Johnny serves as the C2C network director for church planting in Alberta, um, which is is part of the network that we're involved in. So he sits on the task force, and then another good friend of ours, super smart guy, uh, his name is Kevin Carruthers. He planted a church uh, in Calgary, South Calgary, New Hope Community Church. He serves on our task force quite faithfully mind you. And so that's officially how decisions are made. So when, when you have issues with some of the things that happen in Urban Grace, I just want you to know that this is, consists of a task force that's Johnny and Kevin and Matt and Steve and myself, that this is a group of us that are working together. I believe in this plurality. And so, so some of that that may seem really boring and bland for you, it's but important to to explain that this is kind of how this is going, and we hope to install both Matt and Steve sometime in the new year. We want to train them. we had to test them through uh some seasons. The Bible actually says to test there's no other good way to test uh church leadership other than time you can't n- you can't speed this up. you cannot speed up the process of testing someone's character. It happens over time in a variety of situations, and so I believe these men have withstood the test uh, that we've kind of put forward and we're planning on installing them at some point in the new year. We hope it's sometime during the series on the household where we actually talk about that. So I just want to explain that. That's kind of uh, giving uh, direction. Now, what do elders do? Uh, That's kind of the sermon that's going to be coming up in about a month and a half. And so I want you to, to pay attention to that. But essentially, let me summarize it by this. They look after, they take responsibility for the health and the doctrine of the church. Kay? They take responsibility. I don't want you to get this idea that it's people trying to be in charge with authority. Yes, they have authority to make decisions. Yes, they have been given this. But really, true leadership, as the Bible understands it, is is not about authority as much as it is about responsibility. And so there's a lot of things that they do that aren't their fault that they take responsibility for. And so that's why I say our elders and our leaders take responsibility for the health and the doctrine of the church. We have other leaders, mind you. We have lots of other leaders. Uh, let me run through them for you. Um, here, here we go. We've, we've got uh, heading up our music and giving leadership to those. Julie Thiessen. Julie, wave your hand. You know Julie if, she's, if you don't know Julie. Some of you know her. Um, she leads a band, but she also gives direction to all our band. And she helps bring health. She she reminds bands of health and she also makes sur- sure that they're doctrinally correct in that. Um, we have Ryan Stapleton who looks after the financial department and there's people that help him. He's got a team, but this is, this is the guy that makes sure we're not breaking the law with our money. We got Kate Brazil who leads a team of... of people who work with the children. So the reason why you have a a nursery is because of the work of her team and herself giving leadership to that. We have Jay and Shauna Penner who give direction to our greeting ministry. That's really important. You don't think it's important, but let me guarantee you, if you ever walk into a store and you're looking for help but not looking for someone who's really intrusive, you know this dance between the first impression you have of a church. They give direction to that. It's an important part. There's there's other places. We have Jesse who looks after video stuff. We have uh, really kind of Steve pu- plays multiple roles. He does sound. We have all kinds of different leaders like that. Josh Albers uh, heads up our setup kind of department. And then we have band leaders who we ask to bring responsibility for that. And so really that is kind of an extra. I, I, I didn't want to funnel you with a lot of information but I did want to communicate to you for those of you who are relatively new to Urban Grace that that don't know how this kind of works it's kind of working but it's it's really a moving target in a lot of ways is that like you'll say hey that's the way Urban Grace is well in two months that can change because everything seems to change around here really fast but let's get back into what do we ask those leaders to do well really we want all our leaders to have this admonition you need to be reminding everyone of God's faithfulness in the past we need to be reminding everyone of God's faithfulness in the past the reason why I say in the past is because there's such an important part of of the history you know every time you look in scripture uh, scripture itself is history for us but when you look in this scripture he's going through the history for them and that history includes, hey, we, we want you to know, hey, what, here's what I did in Egypt. Don't forget the, the parting of the, of the Red Sea. Don't forget what happened in Egypt. Don't forget what happened uh, with the battles. Don't forget what happened in terms of Abraham and the covenant. Don't forget how faithful God was to you. Don't forget these sorts of things. And we as leaders, even in our service, this is what we do. Most of the songs are driven by stuff that Jesus has done for us, just as a reminder. Very few times do we sing songs where it's like, man, that is brand new information that I never knew before. It's very rare. We're very happy with 200-year-old songs because in some ways they help so much remind us that there is a past to our faith. This is not just in the present. That we do not just can arrogantly sit here and say we know how to do it. There is 2,000 years of church history to get us to this point. To allow us to springboard into the next generation. One of the things we do every week is, is celebrate the Lord's table together. That's not celebrating the future as much as it's celebrating the past. I take you to scripture, I take you to a 2,000, a 3,000, a 4,000 year old book every week for extended periods of time to remind you of God's faithfulness for that long. It's very important that we do that, very important that we do that. I personally do that in my own life as well. I keep a journal, and sometimes it's a really bland journal because I just want to point out to myself that one day when i look through this i will be able to see all the faithfulness of god in the past to project me into the future do not underestimate some of your hopelessness is deeply rooted in the fact that you will not look in the past how many times have you been so depressed and someone said well has god been faithful before and, and and you've thought through it and you've been yeah he has In fact, he answered that prayer last week. I just forgot about it. How many of you get depressed because you forget so often about what God has done in your life? And so God's leaders are always reminding people, everyone of God's faithfulness in the past. Leaders also show us how to obey and love in our present context. Joshua encourages the leaders to to keep and do this for yourself. Keep and do the law. I love this because he doesn't just say, like, like, you need to tell other people how to obey. Who really likes leadership like that? Anyone like a boss like that? Anyone like a parent like that? Anyone like a friend like that that's always telling you what to do? And they're never really telling you about themselves. They're never really experiencing things for themselves. They're just saying, you should do this. And you're like, you should leave me alone. But how amazing it is when someone just tells a story, of, Here, here's what I've learned. Here's what I'm going through. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what, where I've struggled. Here's, here's where I needed to be pointed to Jesus. Here's these things. Ever notice how those people almost always have lots of friends? They have people who want to go to them. Something about that that I think is deeply biblical and is important for all leaders It's so important for us as leaders to to experience the good news of Jesus. So, I mean, one of the things when when we start out talking about the qualifications of leaders, here is one of the first things that we would say, almost the first thing we would say is, have you personally experienced the saving grace of Jesus yourself? You can't be a leader in the church if you haven't personally experienced who Jesus is yourself. And some would say, well, wait, what, what, like what about kind of the journey? And I would say, it's very hard to lead someone where you've never been before. And all we're saying is qualification number one is you you need to know this. I remember reading Ruli Giuliani in his book on leadership. Love Ruli Giuliani. Anyone read his book on leadership? No one. Awesome. Right, a leader. I love it. It's really helpful. But there's one thing that happened in the first page that, that struck me and I've never been able to get rid of. And this is what he said in his kind of he's very personal very open believe it or not he says this what I have not included in this book are the details from my personal life the dissolution of my marriage for example had nothing to do with my public performance and never affected it in any way I think it's a fairly strong statement I don't believe it's possible number one but number two Spiritual leadership, leadership within the church, is so different than that. It's opposite of that. When you look at the qualifications of leadership in 1 Timothy, it says everything that you do is affected by your personal life. That's why so often when churches are unhealthy, guess who's the most unhealthy? The leader. Guess who's the one who has some deep cracks in their own character? The leader. Jesus made it so that it wasn't actually possible to lead well without personally experiencing him. At some point, it just begins to show up everywhere. And Joshua reminds the leaders, you have to believe this yourself. You have to believe this yourself. Charles Spurgeon, a, f- a very famous preacher from the mid-1800s, said, "Our character must be more more persuasive than our speech." He's not saying that you can't speak as a leader. He's just saying that your character should almost be more persuasive than what you say. Some of this is a huge challenge because we think our big influence comes with what we say. This is this is like the the. The sniper rifle being pointed right at me. I say so much in this church. And Charles Spurgeon is saying, my character needs to be more persuasive than even the words that I use. Listen to what one writer in the New Testament says. He says this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, gain but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock doesn't sound like in a very authoritative charge does it but here's what it does sound like serve these people bible uses these words shepherd and flock i know for those of us who anyone here a sheep farmer no one right so that that, that metaphor is kind of lost on us a little bit but the bible is written in a time where this is very, very popular. And so I understands that the, the, the leaders of God's church are, are pastors and, and the, the, the people are kind of like a flock. In fact, that word pastor is a word that literally means shepherd. That's where the word pastor actually comes from. It has this way of like caring, it has a way of like looking out for the safety and the well being of sheep. And here's what Peter, who is a leader, who is one guy who Jesus put in charge of his church, he says, don't do this because you have to. Do this because you want to. Don't domineer and show your authority to people. Do it as a way of, of, of helping your people understand who Jesus is. Don't use a lot of words, be examples to the flock. I love this picture. It's the same message throughout scripture. The same message that comes in Joshua 23 goes throughout scripture. I want to also explain what shepherding can mean for some of you because there's a very important verse that I think is helpful for this and it's found in in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 and 12 because some people think shepherding means that your leaders do all the work for you and you just consume. There's a very real problem in our, in our culture today. I mean, we are quintessential consumers. Most of us choose our churches purely based upon what we receive from the church. I mean, I challenge you. Is there anyone here who doesn't, didn't choose this church because, it's because of what you kind of received? big challenge. We live in that kind of culture where that's almost exclusively the way we understand the church as providing a product that I need. And so if it doesn't provide the product that I need, then I move and I get to another church that provides a product that I need. But that's that, that's not just to point the finger and be critical of us and say, this is all throughout our culture. That that's the way we think about everything. When the job doesn't provide the satisfaction that we need, we, we get another job. When the When the relationship that we have doesn't provide what we need we get another relationship when we don't receive the love that we would like in a relationship we just assume that that relationship is not for us and so we move on to the next one and this is actually what the bible says about the church it says the church is not there for you to simply consume the church is there to help you mature as a christian so this is what Ephesians 4, to 12 says. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. I want to read that again. To equip the saints, that is those who believe in Jesus Christ for ministry. So who's actually doing the ministry here? It's the people. The people are actually the ones responsible for doing the ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. It goes on to say that, that this is like to, to help you get to mature manhood. I know that's not gender exclusive, but in those days they were including everyone. I want you to understand that you grow up. That the leadership of a church is there to help you grow up as a Christian. Now, if you have ever even been remotely close to raising a family, if you've watched it, you know this has tension, right? And so let me describe it like this. that There's this this time when, you know, you have a newborn. We have lots of newborns. And when a newborn comes into the world, are they consumers? Yes, they are the quintessential consumers, right? Everything that they need is provided by someone else. Like I've never, ever seen uh, someone, a brand new baby being like, man, this baby is two weeks old. Can they not at least turn on the television for themselves by this point? No one's ever said that to me. But at three or four years old, you notice that this actually starts to happen, right? This happens in our family, right? When, the, when, when we had a, a one-and-a-half-year-old, and a half year old, never clean up anything. Well, then this little girl, this little beautiful, cute, monster kind of grows up and guess what hey mom i got a messy floor mom's like i'm not your maid i'm helping you mature as a as a woman here you got to pick up your own toys they don't expect them yet to make their own meals but you got to pick up your own toys and then you get to kind of 10 or 11 and it's like you got to start taking your plate to the table or the the counter and then at age 15, it's like, you've you got to start making a meal or two around here for yourself. Provide your own sandwiches at least. And, and then as you get older, you start learning how to do this for others. And then as you get older, you start learning how to teach those people to do it for others. It's not very impressive, or it's very impressive as a newborn to have a newborn that just completely depends upon you. But if you're 40 years old and you're sitting in your parents' basement and you're complaining that your mom isn't making a sandwich, people say, you just kind of need to grow up. I mean, hopefully it's a little stronger than that, but you need to grow up. You need to maybe make yourself a sandwich. You probably need to make a lot of sandwiches for a lot of people. And so this isn't to to say we're trying to criticize. This is to simply say, I want you to know that we want the mindset at Urban Grace to be that one point we want to see you in maturity. And you'll actually move faster through Christian maturity than you will in real maturity in some ways. Although it seems like in our culture, that's not necessarily the case. And it's not just a problem in the church. It's a deep problem in the culture. And there are people who don't believe in Jesus at all that are writing lots of books and saying, like, where is the maturity? People are not growing up till they're over 30 years old. And we're a product of that culture, and so we'll have to fight that, that feeling and that temptation. I remember clearly having a conversation with a friend of mine, and I I just asked him point blank. I just kind of said, hey, how's the Bible reading going? At the time, this person was a leader in our church. said, hey, how's the Bible reading program going? And he said, oh, I don't really read my Bible that much. You know what I do is I have two or three sermons per week, and that's kind of the way I feed myself. I said, hey, that's, that's a good start. I think that's, that's a way, but, but hearing a sermon preached is like having someone kind of chew up your food and spoon feed it to you. It's, it's kind of easy to receive. It doesn't require difficult study it doesn't require discipline for the most part and really preaching is is very little of this is stuff that you can't get out of the text most of this is you can just read about it yourself and find this out but the reason you come to a sermon is because someone makes a good meal for you and so i challenged this guy i said are you going to be satisfied having spoon-fed meals for the rest of your life are you going to learn how to feed yourself And then are you going to learn how to not just feed yourself, but to begin providing food for your family and teaching them how to provide food for their family? And I had a four-day road trip with this guy. And I asked him, and to this day he said, that is the most impactful thing I remember. Is you challenging me that one day I'm going to need to feed others? I need to feed myself and then feed others. Let me say, this is the road to leadership here. This is what Joshua is saying. You need to f- learn these sorts of things. And then lastly, lastly, as we close here, leaders challenge us to constantly make a choice. This is why I believe in preaching. This is why I believe in weekly gathering at Citigroup so much. And this is hard sometimes because this doesn't feel really, as a consumer, as a natural consumer that we are, this doesn't always feel wonderful, by the way. It actually feels a lot of times like, hey, you're being awful personal here. But actually, this is a good point to talk about when Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus, being the greatest leader of all time, Jesus not, doing, not asking his leaders to do anything that he himself would not do. In fact, Jesus doing things that he never asked his leaders to do. The first is he never asked his leaders to physically pay a, a penalty for their sin. He said, that's taken care of. I'll take care of that. He never asked them to provide the message. He never said, come up with your own message. He did that. He came up with a message of hope. He never said to them, um, provide a way of of pushing these people in eternity and and changing their hearts. He says, no, I will do that. I'll change hearts. He never said, um, bring people to a point where they can decide. He said, I will do that. He said, don't come up with your own power. Don't come up with your own kind of invention. Don't come up with your own force. Don't go to other religions. I will give you my Holy Spirit for power. Jesus provides everything that we as leaders could not provide. But he says, this is what I am calling you as leaders to do. is to challenge your people. Make a choice today. Make a choice today. There's a lot of gods out there. There's a lot of things you could try to worship. There's a lot of things you could try and follow. Here's what I'm challenging all of us. Make a choice today. Choose this day whom you will serve. Jesus actually said this is a daily choice. Some of us have have this idea that Christianity or or choosing Jesus was a one-time choice in the the far distant future, like, hey, when I was four or when I was ten or or last week when I made that choice. That is really where I find my security is at one time I made this choice. And Joshua doesn't do that. In fact, if you look in the text, the people are like, we'll serve God with all our lives. And he says, no, you can't. He's challenging them. He's like, today. I'm not talking about the past. I'm talking today. He says, today, are you going to choose Jesus? And in that way, Jesus was very polarizing. This is exactly what he says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's not a yearly decision. It's not a once in my life decision. This is a daily decision. And when Jesus comes to us, even though at Christmas time we have this feeling like Jesus comes in this warm, cuddly baby form to us, he, he doesn't exclusively come as a baby. He comes as a baby. But he finishes as a man who will hang on a cross and say, you don't think sin matters? I'm willing to die for it. You don't think eternity matters? I will rise again. You don't think hope matters. I will give you a picture of hope. You don't think identity matters. I will give you my identity. You don't think doing this in your own power matters. I will give you my Holy Spirit. And I think there's almost always a daily challenge. What's it going to be, friends? What's it going to be today? Not last week not even this morning, but right now, what's it going to be? Is Jesus a lunatic to you? Or is he your king? Is he a cuddly little baby to you? Or is he the savior of the world? Today, I think he's challenging all of us. This is not about a long history of being in a church, serving in a ministry, it's about today. The challenge is today. Some of you are thinking, well, I'm, I'm not a leader, so I'm exempt from all this. And I would say, no, you're not. No, you're not. Not if you've trusted in Jesus, you're not. Because you are on this road, this path of maturity. You're perhaps the only Christian in your workplace. Maybe you're the only Christian in your family. Maybe you're going home to a Christmas where you actually don't know what kind of discussions you're going to be in because you are in a family where everyone else is so far from God. You are the leader of that family spiritually. You are being called and we're trying to equip you to be a good missionary to that family. We're trying to equip you to be a good missionary in your school. For those of you who have been to schools, like post-secondary education, this is one of the most difficult places to be a Christian in this world right now. I can't believe the stuff that people are trying to teach right now. Some of it great, some of it terrible. You might be the only Christian there in your class, that group of friends. Here's what we want to do. We want to equip you. want to equip you to be a leader in that class, in that family, in that job. But it will require us to, first of all, believe this for ourselves. And so as we close, here's what I just want to introduce to you, what we do every single week. And the band can come up now if you'd like. Each week we're trying to point you to the faithfulness of God in the past. Each week we're trying to point you to believe this for yourself. Each week we're trying to say, today, choose this. And here's what this represents. This symbol, these symbols represent, first of all, it's, it's bread. What this symbolizes is the flesh of Jesus Christ. That He was God, but He was not just a force. He was not just in heaven, but He came to earth lived in the flesh. He breathed air. He lived the perfect life, but then he also shed his blood as a way of paying for the sacrifice for our sins. That's, that's described basically through our wine and our juice. And so when you partake of this, what this is, is a de- declaration of all those things that I talked about personally. This is you saying, God was faithful to come near to us in the past. And I was listening to a song and it just it brought me to tears because I just thought Jesus is still on a mission to finish what he started in Bethlehem. I love that. This is a reminder that something happened in Bethlehem that night, but it's not quite finished and he's coming to finish the job. This is a symbol of today. Where's my obedience at? Where is my personal conviction at? And this is also, lastly, today. If you've never partaken of communion before, today can be the first day where you say, I will put my trust in Jesus today. I know not everything is perfectly understandable, but today, today, I will trust him in faith. Would you celebrate with us?